Better pull that title slide up there. Good morning. Good to see everybody that's here this morning. Since we are um, in the book of Acts, uh, we'll be talking some about the church. We'll be talking about some about the kingdom. And so this morning I thought we might just talk about Christians. <laughs> and so the title of the lesson this morning is They Were First Called Christians in Antioch. Now you're probably saying that's not exactly what Acts 11 and verse 26 says, is it? Well, there's a reason why I chose that title, and I'll uh, kind of explain that uh, as we go along here. Maybe you'll see the reason for that as we get into the introduction this morning. But in Acts 11 and verse 26, it said the disciples were called Christians, and those who were followers of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, people are referred to as Christians, not things, not schools, not radio stations, not bookstores. Those are not strictly Christian. <laughs> and we need to understand that because in modern day terminology, sometimes that's the way that they are spoken of. Uh, three points I want to give consideration to. Christian, as it is used in the New Testament. Christians are chosen and Christians are all in. And we'll be taking a look at First Thessalonians um, this morning in about chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. So Christian as it is used in the New Testament. Let me give you this illustration as we get started this morning. Let's suppose you're riding down the street with somebody in a car and they go by a group of buildings and they point over there and they go, uh, my, my child goes to that school, that's, that's a Christian school. They go a little further along and they turn on the radio and they say, I like to listen to a Christian radio station. And then they drive a little further and they say, you know, tomorrow I'm off and I think I'm going to go to the Christian bookstore and see what the latest, greatest new release is. A school, a radio station, a bookstore. They were first called Christians at Antioch. Do you think that's what they were talking about? We'd say, no, they weren't talking about schools and they weren't talking about radio stations and they weren't talking about bookstores. They were talking about people. The disciples were called Christians. And that's kind of basic and that's kind of fundamental. But I want to suggest to you that that's critical. In order to understand God's Word, and in order to understand Christian and how that's applied in the New Testament, we need to know what God's Word says about that and how that word Christian is used. Because in today's day and age, it's used in all kinds of fashions and not necessarily in accordance with what the New Testament has to, has to say. The term Christian is actually only used three times in the New Testament. Acts 11 and verse 26, it says, The disciples were first called Christians, <clears throat> excuse me, at Antioch. Acts the 26th chapter and about verse 28, where the Apostle Paul is standing before King Agrippa, and he's given his testimony, his witness as to why he has done the things that he has done. And Agrippa says to him, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. In 1 Peter chapter 4, and verse 16, 
Peter says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory. <clears throat> I'll get this in a minute. <laughs> Bear with me. If any man suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Let me give you another translation that I think helps to clarify what Peter's trying to say there. If any man suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but praise God for being called that name. You know what Peter's saying? They may recognize you as a Christian. They may call you a Christian. And because they recognize you as a Christian, you may end up suffering persecution for that. And that translation suggests, if that's what happens, praise God that you were called a Christian. That you were found worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. That's what Peter's suggesting there. It's actually suggested by some scholars that in Acts 11 chapter and verse 26, where it says that they were first called Christians at Antioch, that that was actually a derogatory term. Hey, those people there, <laughs> the reason why they do the things they do, the, way they think, the reason why they act the way they act, because they're <laughs> Christians. And they were kind of looking down at them as Christians. So that's what Peter's talking about. There's a sense of suffering, persecution that can go along with being a Christian. But I want to suggest to you also, as you think, take a look at just a dictionary definition of Christian. It will say one who professes <clears throat> belief in Jesus Christ. One who follows the religion and teachings of Jesus Christ. And one who lives according to the teachings of Jesus. Pretty basic. Let me share with you what the Orthodox Jewish Bible says in Acts 11 and verse 26. As it refers to the disciples. So this would be a Hebrew term that they would use that the disciples and they render it the Talmudim. The Talmudim were referred to or called Christians. Talmudim's plural in Hebrew. Talmid is singular. Are you Talmid? A group would be Talmudim. So let me give you the definition of that Hebrew word. Talmudim refers to one who studies to follow the ways of their teacher. They study not only to know what the teacher knows, but to become the type of person their teacher is. Disciple. Wanting to know. To become like. Their teacher. Matthew 28. Great commission. Jesus says. 
go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go make Talmudim. Go make disciples. John 10 and verse 27. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So as you give consideration, there's kind of two points that become obvious. First of all, the very first obvious point is that being a Christian is not something that happens to you by accident or by heritage. Oh, I was just stumbling along one day and I became a Christian. (laughs) That's not the way it happens. Well, my family was Christian. I was born into a Christian family. That makes me Christian. Being a Christian is not like being Irish. (laughs) There's an old saying, God does not have any grandchildren. Let that sink in a moment. God does not have any grandchildren. You do not become a Christian by heritage. Fleshly heritage. You have to be taught. You as an individual have to learn and make that decision. It requires what the New Testament refers to as conversion. To be converted means that you turn from one thing to something else. We are in Acts chapter 2. We'll soon be in Acts chapter 3 in our study. And Peter will deliver what we refer to as the second gospel sermon in Acts chapter 3. And speaking to a lame individual on that occasion, Peter will say to him, Repent and be converted that your sins might be blotted out and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent and be converted. How's he going to be converted? To turn from one thing to something else. Well, Jesus said in John the 6th chapter, in about verses 44 and 45, No man can come unto me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. For it is written in the prophets, that they must all be taught of God. And everyone who has heard and learned comes to me. (laughs) He explains it. How that takes place. How they are drawn to Him. They hear, they learn, they come. That's the process. Becoming a Christian. Being taught. Making a decision. And then turning. I think our invitation song is I've decided to follow Jesus. Good choice, Danny. (laughs) 
And in that song, we will sing those words. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Luke, the ninth chapter, and about verse 23. Jesus says, If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me daily. That's a turning from self to him, taking up your cross, being willing to suffer if necessary, and following him. Men and women making conscientious decisions by being taught, deciding to follow Jesus. Now here's a point that we need to make in regards to all this since we're studying the book of Acts. The book of Acts points to a certain specific time in history when people first became Christians. And they're referred to as such. The Bible teaches that we, me, you, every individual, mankind, has committed what the Bible refers to as sin. Sin is transgression of God's law. Another definition, it is a missing of the mark. It is a falling short. Paul says over in Romans, the fifth chapter, in about verse 12, through one man, through one man, sin entered the world. Now watch what he says. Through one man, sin entered into the world. Through Adam, sin entered in. That concept, that transgressing of God's law, that missing the mark, that falling short. But he goes on to say, and death through sin spread to all men because all sinned. I'm not a sinner because Adam sinned. I'm a sinner because I did the same thing as he did. I transgress God's law. I fall short. I miss the mark. That's what makes me a sinner. Romans 3 and verse 23. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 59 says, Sin makes a separation between me and my God. So as a part of mankind, part of individuals having all committed sin, we share a common spiritual condition. We've sinned. We're separated from God. Therefore, we share a common need to be forgiven. To have our sins removed. To be reconciled to God. 
So God, in sending His Son, was going to make it possible for us to be forgiven. And for us to once again be His children. I want you to notice with me from John, the first chapter. John chapter 1. I'm going to read about verses 9 through 12. This is John the Baptist speaking about Jesus Christ. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. What's John saying? Jesus Christ came into the world. He was the true light of the world. But he was rejected, rejected by his own. But John says those who did receive him, those are the ones God gave the right to become children of God. So as John suggested, that those who receive him, that those who believe, that those who follow, that recognize him as the true light, that by him we can become children of God. But being a Christian is no accident. It requires teaching. It requires conversion. Secondly, this is where I want to take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, about verses 4 through 10. Because this is where it suggests that Christians are those who are chosen. I'm going to read this to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Some translations say you're being chosen by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all who are in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. When we take a look back at 1 Thessalonians, what that does is that helps to set historical context to what it means in becoming a Christian. 1 Thessalonians is one of the earliest books of the New Testament. 
It was probably written within 17, 18 years after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This is probably written around 50, 51 AD. And so we look back to that point in time. And Paul makes reference to those at Thessalonica. And how they were elected or how they were chosen by God. Now if you go back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament will point forward to a period of time when the gospel is going to be preached. And so as you consider from our vantage point looking back, and then when you take the Old Testament and you look forward, you come to that point in time when the gospel was going to be preached and people were going to be converted and become Christian. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Verse 3. Many people shall say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways and we shall walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Isaiah is pointing forward. Isaiah stated those words probably 700 years prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. And he says there's going to come be a point in time when the law of the Lord, when the word of the Lord is going to go forth from Jerusalem. And nations will flow to it. They will point to it. That's where the word is coming from. And we'll be taught. And we'll walk in his paths. Because the law is going to go forth from Jerusalem. Fast forward 700 and some years later. After the coming of Jesus Christ. And his death, his burial, his resurrection. And there's some disciples that are walking away from Jerusalem. And they're headed towards Emmaus. And Jesus appears to them. And he opens their minds to understand the scriptures. And he says, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached beginning at Jerusalem. And so he points to that period of time. That's when it's going to happen. Isaiah looks forward. Jesus says, it's about to happen. And 1 Thessalonians kind of helps us to identify that time. Because as we read 1 Thessalonians, what we're really recognizing is the historical account that Paul gives or Luke gives about Paul and Silas going to Thessalonica in Acts the 17th chapter on the second missionary journey. And as you think about the context in Acts 17, these were unbelievers. <laughs> these were idol-worshiping pagans. 
And Paul and Silas came there, brought the gospel there, and preached the gospel. And Paul talks about how they had turned from serving idols to serve the living God. Converted Greeks. Acts 17 and verse 4. A few believing Jews, leading women of that society. And Paul says they turn from serving idols to serve the living God. They became Christians. But there were others who observed, and we need to recognize this. It's important for today. There were others who saw what was going on. And they saw what Paul and Silas were teaching. And they saw the impact that it was having on individuals and having on their society. And there were some who did not like it. And so what did they say? They said, those men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. (laughs) We heard about this problem in other areas. Now we got the problem right here with us. They have come here and they're preaching the gospel to be followers of Jesus Christ. You know what you have in Acts the 17th chapter? You know what you have in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1? You have Christianity undiluted. First century. Pure, raw, stripped down from the centuries of defilement and delusion over the years. I don't want to be critical, but I want us to understand this. There weren't any Baptists there. There weren't any Presbyterians there. There weren't any Methodists there. There weren't any Catholics there. There weren't any Mormons there. There weren't any Jehovah's Witnesses there. There were disciples. Talmudim. People who were taught. They learned. They turned. They became followers of Jesus Christ. To not only know what He knows, but to be like Him. And in Acts 11 it says the disciples were called Christians. That's all. That changed the Roman Empire. Think about that. Roman Empire, in essence, was no different than our society today. You think we have any idol worshipers today? (laughs) Maybe our idols are just a little bit different. You think we have any pagans today? Unbelievers. And the gospel changed the Roman Empire. The gospel can change this world that we live in. Think about society for just a moment. Do you think there's any unrest in our society? Do you think there's any division within our society? Do you think the rich 
take advantage of the poor in our society? Do you think there's immorality in our society and perversion in our society? Do you think there's racial bias in our society? So now let me ask you, what's the problem? A one-word definition. And you know what it is? It's sin. It's sin. And you know what the cure for sin is? For people to become disciples. To become Christians. To have their sins forgiven. And to become like Jesus Christ. That's what happened in the first century. That's what happened in the Roman Empire. That's what needs to happen today. People are lost. Separated from God because of sin. And they need to be taught. So that they might turn. And they can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said in Romans 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it is revealed the righteousness of God. From faith unto faith and the just shall live by faith. Let me read verse 4 again. Knowing, beloved brethren, New King James Version says, your election. The ESV says, knowing, brethren, you have been chosen. He has chosen you. You have been chosen by God. So somebody might ask the question then, well, how does God choose us? Notice verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So in verse 5, Paul says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only. What's Paul saying? Well, first of all, he says the gospel didn't come in word only, so the implication is that the gospel came by word. (laughs) But that word came also with power and in the Holy Spirit in much assurance. What's that mean? Just what Paul said in Romans 1. There's power in the gospel. And with the Holy Spirit, much assurance that we know the blessings that come with the gospel. Good news. And Paul says that's what came to them. That word came to them with power. Let me give you another illustration. 
You ever heard somebody talk about, well, I knew this fella and he found God. You ever heard somebody say that? Well, they finally found God. Well, I wouldn't say that's exactly correct. It's more like this. God found us. We were the ones that were lost. God wasn't lost. We were. We didn't go looking for God. God came looking for us. That's the Bible story. God sent His Son. His Son came looking for us. Through Him we are taught and that's how we come back. So let me give you this illustration about how that works. Once again, back when I was a kid living on the farm, up by the barn, just in the back, there's this large pasture. And on the back side of this pasture, there's this creek that runs down through there. Banks are fairly steep. And then on the other side, there's this timber, heavily wooded. And we would turn cows and calves out back of the barn into that pasture. And a lot of the times, not all the time, a lot of the times, they might go as far as that creek, but those banks are kind of steep and stuff, and they wouldn't cross it. But you know how cows are. (laughs) They'll wander across there. And then we would recognize someone, or that some would be gone. And my dad would send... Me, (laughs) go get them. Got to find them. Got to bring them back. So I'd head out across to the pasture, and as I got close to that creek, I'd start calling the cows. You want a demonstration? (laughs) My wife says no. (laughs) But I want to assure you, I can still call cows. (laughs) And you call. And you call... And then pretty soon, you may get a response. And then they'll start to come. But every once in a while, you may have a calf or a younger one that's out there in amongst all those trees and you're calling, and you may hear them what we call bawling. (laughs) And they're wandering back and forth and they're trying to find their way out of the woods and then you have to get closer and you have to help them Keep calling. And then finally they recognize where you are and they, they make it out of there. You go looking. You start calling. And they start coming. That's what Paul's talking about. First Thessalonians. The word came. You were being called. That's what Jesus is talking about in John 6. No man can come unto me unless the Father who sent me draws them. How are they drawn? It is written in the prophets that they shall all be taught and those who have heard and learned come. Jesus said, I know my sheep. And they know my voice. And they follow me. 
in verse 6, Paul says, You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul's talk, or Peter was talking about 1 Peter 4. Count it as a blessing if you get called a Christian. And Paul says, you received that word. So a Christian is someone who has heard and they have learned and they've responded. That's why Jesus said in Mark 16, go preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that disbelieves shall be condemned. Why? Because they don't believe. And they don't come. And they don't turn. And so they don't receive the blessings of having heard the gospel. Thirdly, finally, Christians are those who are all in. First Thessalonians 1 and verse 6, Paul said, you receive that word with much affliction. Some say with tribulation. The word literally means to be pressed to the limit. These people came from idol-worshiping backgrounds and they turned. And because they turned and followed Jesus, they faced persecution. 2 Timothy 3, Paul says, Yea, and all who would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You know, sometimes people don't want you to become a Christian. Ever notice that? It wasn't all that easy when I became a Christian. Maybe it wasn't all that easy when you became a Christian. Sometimes those who are closest to you don't want you to become a Christian. You ever thought about that? Sometimes some of your closest friends, sometimes family members. Have any thoughts about that? Why they might be like that? If you become a Christian, you're kind of suggesting that maybe I need to become a Christian. And so sometimes people don't like that. But Jesus said, Luke 9, take up your cross and follow me daily. Old saying, anything worth having is worth paying for, right? That's what Jesus said. You may have to pay the price. But it's worth it. Verse 7 and 8. So that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we not have need to say anything. Paul says you became examples. That word that is used there was oftentimes used in the first century to suggest a piece of metal or maybe a signet ring. And it would be pressed against clay to make an image. And Paul says you became examples. Christianity had made an impression on them. 
And now they were making an impression upon society. Matthew 5, verse 13 and 14. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. It's an impression that you make. And in verse 8, he says, the word of the Lord sounded forth from you to the point to where they didn't have to need to say anything. So Paul is essentially, in those few verses, kind of given a summary of Christianity. They had received the word. The word had been preached to them. They had accepted it. They had turned. They were now living according to it and being an example. And now the message is being sounded out from them. Verse 9 and 10. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivered us from the wrath to come. Now what's Paul saying? In essence, you know what he's saying? He's saying these people in Thessalonica, they were all in. Verse 10. And to wait for His Son. Sometimes we read that and we think it's kind of like sitting on at the bus stop. <laughs> well, I'm just waiting. Jesus is going to be coming back and so I'm just waiting. And is that what Paul has just talked about? No, what Paul has talked about is that they heard that word, they received that word, they themselves became examples of that word. And the word had sounded forth from them. Does that sound like they're just sitting and waiting? No, what Paul is saying is wait in the sense of to stay with it. You're not turning back. You're committed to it. Sometimes in playing cards, have you ever heard someone say, now I'm not condoning gambling, okay? <laughs> but have you ever heard someone say, I'm all in. <laughs> I'm going with this. I'm fully committed to it. That's what Paul said. Waiting for. <clears throat> That's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5. That those who now live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who loved them and died for them. You know what Paul's saying? Jesus was all in for you. And he wants us to be all in for him. That's a Christian. Becoming a Christian starts with God. He comes looking for us. He calls by the preaching of the gospel. It leads to a person believing and making a decision to turn from self, to follow Jesus Christ, and it results in a changed life. And it means you're all in. From that moment on. 
Revelation 2 and verse 10. Be faithful unto death, and you shall receive a crown of life. Day of Pentecost, Acts 2 and verse 38, which we'll study in Gerald's class next week. When he had convinced them that they had crucified Jesus, the Son of God, they asked, what should we do? And Peter said, repent, turn, and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. For the promises made to you and to all those that are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call, Verse 41, and those who gladly received his word were baptized and about 3,000 souls were added that day. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Christians. That's who they now were. That's when Christianity began. The Old Testament prophets pointed forward to it. And now we can look back to that same point in time. Christianity began. People, not things, were called Christians first at Antioch. That's the lesson. We need to understand exactly how Christian is used in the New Testament and to share that with others so that they understand that it's the disciples, the followers, who are called Christians at Antioch. So I want to extend the invitation to any and all here this morning who never rendered obedience under the gospel of Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to do that even this day. And if we can help you make your relationship with the Lord right, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.